Welcome back to the podcast. It's been a strange year, hasn't it? People have been searching for comfort in all sorts of places, whether that's in family, in medicine, or in simply having more stuff. Where are Christians meant to find comfort? Well, over the next few weeks, we're going to be playing some sermons I've been giving from the book of Isaiah. This book is foundational to the New Testament, and uh, the New Testament authors seem to say that their message is in line with it. So we're going to see what it says, and we'll see where God calls us to find comfort too. What would it take to see who God really is? We've been asking that question as we've gone through the past few weeks. How is it that God's people will know who God is? How is it that the ends of the earth will see who God is? How can we see God for who he really is? Well, this morning we come to the grand answer to that question. We've seen over the past two weeks that God has taken away the wrath from his people. But the big question has been, how? We've had the news that God will transform and redeem his people, but the big question has been, how? We've had the good news, the gospel arrive, but we haven't had the how yet. But here in Isaiah 52 and 53, we finally get it. We finally learn what it will take to see who God really is. Now, before we look at the detail, we need to remember that Isaiah is writing this 700 years in advance. That's 700 years before Jesus enters the scene. Archaeologically, we have a copy of Isaiah from at least, at the very latest, 100 years before Jesus. So as we think about this passage this morning, keep that in your mind. These details that are so vivid, so detailed, are written before Jesus arrives on the scene. Amazing stuff. Well, with a passage like this, I feel like I'm only able to scratch the surface in the time that we have. There is so much I could say, there's so much I'd love to say, but the big question this morning, the big thing we need to see, the big question we want answered is, what will it take to see who God really is? And the answer, it's right there in the first words of our passage this morning. I invite you to have it open if you don't already. The answer there in Isaiah 52 verse 13 is, see my servant. As we see the servant in this passage, we'll find out what it takes to see who God really is. Now, the passage splits into five bits. The first bit is like an opening to a musical. Uh, You know, when you get the famous bits of the music played before the show starts, the orchestra's chance to shine. That's verses 13 to 15. And from there, we have four more bits. First, telling us what is seen and then telling us what it means. We need to hear what God says in order to understand what we see. So we'll look at the introduction first, and then we'll take the rest, two bits at a time. So firstly, what do we need to see about the servant? Well, Isaiah says we need to see the servant lifted up and exalted. That is our first instruction this morning. The first thing Isaiah wants us to do, point one, see the servant lifted up and exalted. There in verses 13 to 15. See my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance so disfigured beyond that of any human being and his form marred beyond human likeness, so 
he will sprinkle many nations, and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told, they will see, and what they have not heard, they will understand. How is God going to do everything he's promised? How is that good news going to come about? What will it take to see who God really is? God says, see my servant. This is the very last command we get in this section of Isaiah. Running up to this point, we've had many, many commands. Uh, Just remember recently, we've seen, awake, awake. And then we've had, depart, depart. But this is the finale. This is the climax. All of that points us to this moment. All of the roads of the Bible lead us to this moment. So what are we called to look at? Let's make sure we get this. God says, see my servant. Look at the servant who will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Like a banner hoisted up on a pole. The servant's going to be lifted up and highly exalted. Look at him, God says. See. Now there's a contrast in these verses between what people see and what happens. Uh, Whenever I think about this kind of situation, I think back to 2009... There was a moment that illustrated this as an unkempt lady. She walked out onto a stage. All the lights were shining. The audience were shocked. Well, nothing good's going to come out of her mouth, is it? She looks like she needs to go to the hairdresser and get some new clothes first. But then she opened her mouth and she sang. And Susan Boyle started her singing career. Some of you are nodding like you remember that. If you don't know, if you haven't seen that moment, go onto YouTube, just type Susan Boyle in there. Have a look later. But you see, there was a mismatch between what people saw and what people heard, what happened. But that's nothing in comparison to this. Verse 14, there were many who were appalled at him. As his servant is looked on, people are astonished. They're amazed in a negative sense. They are, as it says here, appalled. Like Susan Boyle, as people see the servant, they think to themselves, nothing good can come of this. But the shock... The shock comes in verse 15, so he will sprinkle many nations. That language there of sprinkling, it takes a little explaining. If you've been in our growth groups recently, it might ring some bells. Uh, Sprinkling is sacrifice language. It's language of what happens when the priest sacrifices for the people. As the priest takes a male sheep, a ram, his blood gets sprinkled. It is the sacrifice in Israel for the forgiveness of sin. But there's a development here in Isaiah. Rather than just sprinkling Israel, this servant's going to do far more. He's going to sprinkle many nations. We'll see that word many come up again at the end of this passage. So hold on to that word, many. This is just the opening bit. This is just the summary of what's to come. Uh, Kings will shut their mouths because of him. Remember the people who were appalled earlier? Now their mouths are shut in amazement. From verse 14 to verse 15, the amazement has changed. Now kings are amazed at what has happened because, rest of the verse, for what they were not told, they will see. And what they have not heard, they will understand. After this sacrifice takes place, kings will see and understand. In fact, that is the answer to our question, isn't it? What will it take to see who God really is? Well, right there in verse 15, they see They understand. What is it that takes them from verse 14 to verse 15? What is it that makes them see? Well, it's this sacrifice by this servant. So if that's what it takes to see rightly, 
Well, let's have another look at verse 13. Because there's a lot in this verse alone. When Isaiah uses the word servant here, he is tapping into the whole Old Testament. Uh, Like we saw earlier with the kids. All the Old Testament stories are leading here. The servant summarizes, combines all of the other servants in the Bible so far. But that phrase, lifted up and highly exalted, is only used to one other person in Isaiah. It's only used to one other person. In fact, God says everyone else is going to be cut down. They're going to be brought low. The only person in Isaiah that that phrase, lifted up and highly exalted, is going to be true of, is God himself. Only God himself will be lifted up and highly exalted in Isaiah. Everyone else will be brought down. So here, as we're looking at this servant, we're seeing not only the greatest hits of the Old Testament, we're also seeing God himself. As this servant is lifted up and highly exalted, we see God. As we see this servant, we see what it will take to see who God really is. So what looks like a terrible, like an appalling sight is actually something far bigger. Something far more than people can imagine. So this morning, hear what Isaiah says. See the servant lifted up and highly exalted. Fix him in your mind's eye this morning and hear what God is saying about him. See. Well, that was the overture. That's the prologue to what we're about to hear. So let's get into some more of the details, shall we? As we see the servant, as we behold, as we look, what does Isaiah want us to see? Well, point two, he wants us to see the servant despised and rejected. See the servant despised and rejected. That's all the next two sections are about, verses one to three and then four to six. We get what is seen first and then we get God's explanation of it. It's kind of like a film with a twist. Have you ever seen a film that has a twist in it? A twist that makes you go back and rewatch the whole film again. I always think of uh, Christopher Nolan's Prestige. Have you seen that one? Christopher Nolan's Prestige. When you see the end, it's going to make you want to see the beginning again. If you've not seen it yet, go and watch it. It's great. But here in Isaiah 53, it's exactly the same. You see, we see something and then we get told what it means. And as we're told what it means, we're meant to go back and relook again at what we saw to pay attention to that command, the final command here, Isaiah 52 verse 13, to see my servant in light of it. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to see, and then we're going to take another look. So what was seen? What do we see at first? Well, verses one to three. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind. A man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised. And we held him in low esteem. The big question again is whether people will see. Perhaps you saw that at the end of verse 1. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Revealed, shown, seen. The good news there, the message, that's from last time. And this good news, this gospel, it's the arm of the Lord being revealed. That phrase there, the arm of the Lord, was mentioned back in verse 10 last week. It's the phrase that was used of God's power at the Exodus. 
as God's people were rescued through the ten plagues and then across the water, through the wilderness, into the land. The stories we love to read with the kids. Stories of amazing feats and wonderful detail. God's arm being revealed. God rolling up his sleeves. God at work. And that's what we have here. The arm of the Lord rescuing his people. The arm of the Lord at work in a greater way than that exodus. Do you get that? A greater way than the exodus story. So what is the arm of the Lord? Well, in fact, the question should be, who? Who is the arm of the Lord? Let's keep reading. Verse 2. He. That's the arm of the Lord right there. The servant. God's arm is the servant. To look at the servant is to look at God's arm. He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. See, just in your minds, imagine a desert, the driest place on earth, the kind of place you'd find on a David Attenborough documentary. Here in the plains of Africa. Yeah, see the impression I can do. See, the camera is sweeping over the landscape. And you see this plant, this solitary plant just growing out of the dry ground. It catches your attention, doesn't it? Why? Well, because it doesn't belong. It doesn't look like it's going to survive, does it? It's a surprise that it grew. Well, in Isaiah's day, to be a king, you'd be described as a great tree. But if you've read through Isaiah, we'll see that the kingship is under threat. As the people, they've been removed from their lands, as they've been oppressed by other kingdoms. Well, it'd be a surprise, wouldn't it, if a king was to just pop out of nowhere? But he does. Like a shoot, like a root out of dry ground. Though there's nothing about this servant that anyone would consider attractive. Again, notice that attractive word there, the people they don't see. Blindness is the idea here. Nothing you would see that makes you take notice. Before there's sight, there is blindness. Verse 3, he's despised. He's rejected by mankind. He is deemed insignificant. You would look at him and you discount him straight away. Why? Well, because he was a man of suffering. He was familiar with pain. So as we read that, we need to put all of this into its context. It's really important when we read a passage like this, because without the context, we're not really understanding what's going on. In fact, I've read a lot of people this week on this passage, and they don't really understand what is going on there, because they miss some key details. Key details are going to affect what this means. Let me show you what I mean. Uh, In your Bibles, just flick back to the very start of Isaiah, okay? Right to the beginning of Isaiah. Keep your finger in where we are at the moment, so we're going to go back in a minute. Isaiah chapter 1, page 686. Need the page number. See, God is speaking to his people Israel here. They have turned from him and they've received judgment, just as they were promised would happen. But look again at these words in verses 5 and 6. Big number 1, little number 5. God is speaking to Israel and he says, Why should you be beaten any more? Why do you persist in rebellion? Your whole head is injured. Your whole heart is afflicted. From the sole of your foot to the top of your head, there is no soundness. Only wounds, bruises, open sores, not cleansed or bandaged or soothed with oil. Do you see there? God is describing the whole people as injured, as sick, afflicted, wounded. From the sole of their foot to the top of their heads. There is no soundness. 
They are a people of suffering. They are a people familiar with pain. That is the state that Isaiah is writing into. A people riddled with sin. Suffering the results of their sin, of their turning away from God. Come back to Isaiah 53. Hopefully your thumb is still there. Now do you see why the people don't notice this servant? Why there is nothing in his appearance that we should desire him? See why? It's because he looks just like the rest of them. He looks like an ordinary bloke under the covenant curses. He looks just like the rest of the people. A man of suffering in a people of suffering. Nothing in his appearance makes him stand out. That's what the people see. Or really what the people don't see. But now Isaiah is going to help us look again. To simply look at a servant, to look at the, uh, what's going on around us, doesn't give us enough information. We need God to tell us how to interpret it, to give us a second look. So let's have a look at the explanation, verses four to six. Surely he took up our pain and bore our sufferings, yet we considered him strict, punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. What was the servant doing in taking on the form of people? Well, Isaiah tells us, verse 4, he was taking up their pain. He was bearing their suffering. He deliberately stepped into their world and took on that pain. He stepped into this world and lived a life like everyone else. It's not that he deserved it. Even though the people thought that was the case. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. The people thought he deserved these curses, this punishment, just like they did. See, they saw, but they they misunderstood. But verse 5, he was pierced. He was wounded for whose transgressions? Let me read the verse again and put the emphasis where it deserves. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. That's powerful, isn't it? The servant takes the sins of God's people onto himself. That is how we can have peace, end of verse 5. Do you remember the gospel, the good news from last week? The gospel that proclaims peace? This is how we can have it. Because the servant took the punishment that brought us peace. And a parallel there, end of the verse, by his wounds, we are healed. Do you remember Isaiah chapter one? The people were wounded. They were riddled from the sole of their foot to the top of their head with sin. Well, this servant is taking away that covenant curse. He is bringing peace. For verse six, we all like sheep have gone astray. So I've been studying the languages. You know that word all there? That means all. There you go. Every single person, you, me, all, have gone astray. We have not lived, have we, the way that God wants us to live 100% of the time. We've all said shove off God at some point and gone our own way. Yet. Yet the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Just like the goat on the Day of Atonement, Leviticus 16, God has laid on the servant the sin of his people. 
He takes their place. He becomes their substitute. There is a divine exchange. He takes our sin. He takes our guilt. He takes the punishment for our unfaithfulness. And he takes it away as far as the east is from the west. So as we see and re-see the sermon this morning, as we understand what was happening, we can look at this passage in a new light. If you are trusting Jesus this morning, you can put your name into verse 5. Go on, just take a moment to read verse 5 and substitute the names in. But Jesus was pierced for Dave's transgressions. If you're trusting in Jesus this morning, you can put your name in there. It's what Jesus has done for you. It's a really simple exercise, but it's immensely powerful. Because right there is where wrath and mercy meet. As the servant takes the wrath that is deserved for the rejection of God, the seriousness of sin, the right punishment that we deserve, and we reserve mercy in his place. Do you see just how serious sin is? Just what it takes to take sin away once and for all, for that cup of wrath to be taken away. It takes the servant becoming one of us, entering our sin-riddled world so that he could take the place of all of us. And as he did that, he enabled us to see. As we look at him entering our world, we see what it takes, what it takes to see who God really is. So this morning, see the servant despised and rejected for us. And finally, point three this morning, see the servant providing forgiveness for sin. See the servant providing forgiveness for sin. Again, let's have a look what the people saw, shall we? Verses seven to nine. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shearers is silent. So he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he'd done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. What was seen then? Well, there was a death. In this bit, this is where the servant dies. We go from his trial to his death, to his burial. Again, it's really hard, isn't it, not to see the story of the gospel here. Remember, 700 years in advance, okay? What control, what providence God has over history. Verse 7, he doesn't open his mouth. He takes the oppression. He takes the affliction for his people like a lamb, like a sheep before his shearer. He's silent. He knows he's innocent, but he doesn't plead that innocence. And so he's taken away. He is cut off. The tender shoot of verse 2, cut down, chopped off from the land of the living. Why? Verse 8, for the transgression of my people, he was punished. Verse 9, he was assigned a grave with the wicked, with the guilty he died, yet with the rich in his death. He'd die a criminal's death, but his tomb would be with the rich. He was struck by how Jesus was laid in Joseph of Arimathea's tomb, died a criminal's death on a cross, buried in a rich man's brand new tomb. It's amazing, right? Such detail, 700 years in advance. And Isaiah underlines it once more, end of verse 9. Though he'd done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth, the innocent for the guilty, the servant suffers in place of others in his death. 
He goes to trial, is executed, is buried. That is what the people saw. If you had eyes to see that day, that is what you would have seen. Let's take another look. What was going on? What was the servant doing? Well, again, we get an explanation, verses 10 to 12. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hands. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied by his knowledge. My righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great and he will divide the spoils with the strong because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. See, verse 10, it may have looked like a big tragic mistake, a case of injustice at the very highest level. But what was happening? Well, it was God's plan all along. God had planned it, the servant achieved it. The servant gave himself as an offering for sin. He took the exact punishment that was required by the law, even though he was completely innocent. That's not the end of the story, is it? I know I left us there on Good Friday. The story, though, doesn't end, does it, with the servant's burial. End of verse 10, there's a promise for the servant here. See the promise there? He will see his offspring and prolong his days. See, our C word comes up again. The servant is going to see his offspring. He's going to see children. He's going to see those like him. That's what it means to be offspring. That's what it means to be children in the Bible. We're going to see who they are in a moment. But just notice what it takes for a dead person and a buried person to see offspring. It has to be a resurrection, right? It has to be coming back from the dead. Dead people don't see things. Verse 11 makes that explicit. After he suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied by his knowledge. Resurrection, light of life. And big news next, okay? My righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. The servant in his death and resurrection will make many righteous. He will cause many to be right before God. He will be a ransom for many. He will bring that peace, that salvation promised earlier. Do you remember that many word I made a big deal of at the start? Right back in verse 15. Well, here it is. The many from the nations, the many from the ends of the earth, that is the servant's offspring. Those who see, like the servant here, those who see who God really is, they get to share in what this servant has done. Verse 12, because the servant poured out his life unto death, he can deal with sin once and for all. And that last line of this passage, he can intercede for them forever. That word we have there, made, it's actually an ongoing word. Uh, He makes intercession. He continues. See, he's done everything that's needed to forgive iniquity, transgression, sin. Every word you could use for sin in the Bible. And he's going to continue to do that forever. He really can provide forgiveness for sins, just as was promised. So we read this this morning. Do you believe that? Because that is how the good news can come about. That is what it takes to see who God really is. The servant. See, my servant, Isaiah says. So this morning, we need to see the servant providing forgiveness for sin. I mean, it's a breathtaking chapter, isn't it? A chapter that is rightly deemed possibly the greatest chapter in the whole Old Testament. It shows us what it takes to see who God really is. It shows us the servant lifted up 
and highly exalted, despised and rejected by man, providing forgiveness for sin. And that's exactly what we see that very first Easter, isn't it? As the Lord Jesus was lifted up on a wooden cross, as he was despised and rejected by mankind, as he died a criminal's death. But if you had the eyes to see that day, you would see the servant lifted up in glory, dying in the place of his people, providing forgiveness for sin in his death and his resurrection. Perhaps you've never taken the time to look at what God promised here. Perhaps you've never taken the time to relook at what happened at Easter. So can I encourage us all in a moment of silence just to look and then look again at this passage and reflect on what God has done in history to do as Isaiah calls us to do in verse 13. See my servant. Let's take a few moments, shall we, to reflect on that and then I will lead us in prayer. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds were healed. Father, we thank you that your plan to rescue your people all along came true in the Lord Jesus. Thank you that these words of Isaiah, written years in advance, point us so clearly to him. Father, thank you that because Jesus died and rose again, we can have certainty that every sin, all of our sin, is taken by him. Father, we pray that if we haven't trusted in the Lord Jesus yet, we would do so this morning. Father, we pray where we might be uh, falling away, that you'd call us back to yourself. And Father, we pray that uh, those who are trusting in the Lord Jesus would have even greater certainty this morning in what he has done. Father, thank you for providing your son, even when we were still sinners, to die for us. Amen. Well, I hope you found some comfort there. Any feedback can be sent to me on podcast at david-couch.com and I'll see you next time.